How do you feel about slavery? I thought I'd start on a light note, you know, talk about slavery and uh, our nation's horrible, long history of slavery. Well, what images pop into your mind as you think about slavery? Probably not a pleasant deal. If you're like most Americans, we carry a certain amount of resentment towards that word because of our nation's awful history. And, and rightly so. I, I think that we should be ashamed as a nation of what we did, what we allowed to happen in this country. And, and if we think about what slavery was in our country, basically it was kidnap and forced labor. And, and it took way, way too long for our nation to right those wrongs. And even after we righted some of those wrongs, it took years, decades, even a hundred years, and we're still working even at righting some of those wrongs. So as, as we hear the word slavery, uh, I understand that there are images that pop into our mind and we think, whoa, I want nothing to do with that. That's a horrible, terrible thing. And, and again, if we're thinking about the way that our nation did slavery, we're right to think that way. That was a terrible thing that we did. Now, on the other hand, you may have noticed already the title of my sermon today, The Right Kind of Slavery. Now, allow me to explain. Different types of slavery can feel very different depending on who the master is. Okay, that's going to be an important point as I finish my sermon today, uh, but just hold on to that for a while. But in our passage today in Romans, which, by the way, we're doing a sermon series here at Cornerstone Church where we're going through Romans chapters 1 through 8, talked about the gospel, how the, the good news of Jesus Christ is that we can be freed from sin and we can have a new life to live. But it's kind of interesting is the Apostle Paul then goes on to describe this new life that we are supposed to live. One of the images that he uses is slavery. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at how the Apostle Paul, how God really tells us uh, how we should be slaves. Uh, now, Paul admits in Romans 6.19 that he's using a human illustration. He says uh, in verse 19, I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural self. So he admits right there that he's using an illustration. And sometimes illustrations, they have their weak points. But at the same time, illustrations can be really helpful to help us understand spiritual truths as well. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the image of slavery. And, and we're going to look at how we can live as the right kind of slave. Now, if the term slave is still too offensive for you, let me just say a few quick words. Um, first, the word slave could also be translated as servant many times in the Bible. Um, so if you're uncomfortable with the word slave, I actually don't mind if you just substitute the word servant. But either way, it doesn't really matter to me, and it's going to have to do with the point that I'm going to make at the end about a master. Whether it's a slave or a servant, both have a master, and the important part is about that master. Um, second, Jesus himself became a slave. In Philippians 2.7, it tells us that Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant of a slave. So if that word is good enough for Jesus Christ, it is good enough for me, and it is good enough for you as well. Okay? Third, the kind of slavery we're talking about today is the kind where we serve God. Okay? So that, he's our master. And remember, Jesus had some words to say about the kind of work that we were to do. In Matthew 11.30, he said that we are to take his yoke, his burden. He said that his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So when we sign up for the slavery to God, it's not like we have some wicked father who's going to say to us, ha ha, you're mine now and I'm going to make you pay for it. We have a loving father that we serve. 
And then fourth, again, just back to America's awful version of slavery. There were people back then that used the Bible to uh, justify that kind of slavery, and, and that was just plain wrong. Okay, so if we're looking back at our nation's history, even at the people who said, well, the Bible talks about slavery, so it's okay for us to do this. No, that was just wrong. That was not the kind of slavery. Uh, that, w- that was the wrong kind of slavery. Okay, so again, we're looking at Romans 6, and we're talking about the new life in Christ. And Paul describes this new life in Christ, and again, like I mentioned, perhaps surprisingly, he goes to this image of slavery to tell us how we should do it. So I want to read our passage today, Romans 6, verses 15 through 23. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you were now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So verse 15 starts off with a very similar question that Paul had already asked in verse 1. Paul was asking these questions about, well, should we just go on sinning then? Like he says, we're, we're not under law, we're under grace. So if we're under grace, should we just keep on sinning? If God loves to forgive sinners, if he loves to pour out grace on us, should we just keep on sinning then so that God can keep on pouring out grace? And, and Paul's answer here is the same answer he gave earlier in chapter 6. It's one of the strongest answers he could have given. It's translated here as by no means. Maybe some of your translations say may it never be. It, if you go back to the original Greek, it's just this really strong no way sort of a word. We should not go back to sin. And Paul explains why in verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now there are two key words in that verse that I want to emphasize. The first one is offer. Some of your translations might say present. We are to offer ourselves. And when Paul says that then, what he's telling us is that we are talking about a slavery that is willingly entered into. Okay? Whether we're talking about slavery to sin or slavery to righteousness or obedience, it is a slavery that is willingly entered into. Now, as I've said in my previous sermons in Romans, it's important to know that we are sinners by nature and by choice. By nature meaning that we were born with a sinful nature, and that had to do with Adam and the whole fall of man. Uh, But also importantly here, we are sinners by choice. And what that means is that all of us, by our own choices, by our own actions, we chose to sin. And when we chose to sin, what we did is we offered ourselves in slavery to sin. 
Jesus said something similar in 830, uh, excuse me, John 8.34. He says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, we almost certainly didn't know the full implications of what was happening when we first did that. You know, as a, as a little kid, when we, when we first chose to sin, we didn't really know what we were doing. But the truth is, what all of us did and continued to do by our sinful actions was to offer ourselves as slaves to sin. But there's good news here, too. Paul implies also in verse 16 that we can offer ourselves in slavery to obedience. So that's the second key word in verse 16, is obedience. Now, if you're following along the flow of Romans, you might have expected Paul to say faith. You might have expected him to say slavery to faith, because he's been emphasizing faith so much. Faith is our response to, to the gospel, to what Jesus did for us. But here he uses the word obedience. And if you think about it, for, you know, it probably only takes about a second worth of thinking, if we're talking about slavery, the word obedience just makes a lot more sense, right? What does a good slave do? A slave obeys his master. And the word obedience in Greek carries along with it the, the word for hearing. Part of the word for obedience is the word for hearing. So what does, a, what does a good slave do? A slave listens to his master, figures out what his master wants, and then does it. That's what obedience is. What does the master want? Okay, I know it, now I will do it. That's obedience. So in verse 16, the stage is already set. Either we're slaves to sin or we're slaves to obedience. And we need to choose wisely here. And Paul says that slavery leads to death. And that death is not just physical death. It's a spiritual separation from God. It's eternal death. If we remain as slaves to sin and we die in that, we have eternal separation from God. But we don't have to choose that path. Because verse 16 implies a choice. You don't have to live for sin. You can offer yourselves as slaves to obedience as well. But either way, as the illustration goes, we're a slave to something or to someone. And the theologian Doug Moo says it this way, if one is not serving God, then whether knowingly or not, one is serving sin. I, I find that to be really helpful. That Serving God would be one choice, but if you're not serving God, you're serving sin. You're a slave to sin. Okay, let's move on then to verses 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you are entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Again, we were all slaves to sin at one time, but thanks be to God, he set us free. He set us free through what Jesus did. And Paul tells us exactly how it is that we can be set free through obedience. And when he says obedience here, I think he's talking about obedience to the gospel message. If you remember way back to my first sermon in Romans, we talked about how Romans is about the gospel. And I think it's four times in Romans 1 the word gospel is used. So Paul tells us, I'm talking about the gospel. But then something kind of interesting happens. Uh, for the next seven chapters, he only uses the word gospel once. But I think it's because he's already told us, I'm going to talk about the gospel. I might not use the word gospel, but that's what we're talking about. And I think that's what we see here. When Paul says it's through obedience, um, you obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, he's talking about the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So what is the gospel? Well, it's the good news that Jesus came to die for our sins. 
On the cross, Jesus took our sins upon himself. We had earned a death penalty. Every single one of us, by our, by our sin, had earned a death penalty that we could not pay. We, we couldn't just say, here you go, God, I got some money in my wallet, I'll give it to you, I'll, I'll take care of it. No, we could not pay that debt. But Jesus could, so he took our sins upon himself, and when he died, he defeated the power of sin and death and the devil, so that anyone who receives him as Savior and Lord can have complete forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That's the gospel message. We talk about it a lot here at Cornerstone, but it's because we want you to know it. And we want, if there's ever a visitor in here who doesn't know the gospel, we want to keep reminding everybody that it's only through Jesus that we can have salvation through faith. That's, that's the only way. And if we obey that teaching, like it says here, if we obey that teaching, if we give ourselves to be servants of Jesus instead of servants of sin, then we're set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. Now it's interesting again, we might have thought, if Paul is using the slavery analogy, we might have expected it to go like this. We were all slaves to sin. Maybe we can understand that, that we were slaves to sin. But thanks be to God, Jesus came and set us free. And some people might think it's free so that we can live for ourselves. But that's not what it says here. It says we have been set free so that we can become slaves to righteousness. That's what we were created for. Jesus himself set the example of, of being a servant, being a slave. We too are to serve God. And you could say it this way then. We were set free so that we could serve God. Set free to serve God. Okay, then verse 19. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. Now this verse is really similar to verse 13 that we looked at last Sunday. I want to reread that verse so you can see the comparison. Romans 6.13 says, Do not offer the parts of your body as, uh, to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. We see the word offer there in both verses. It's a command in both verses. And in our passage today, verses 15 through 23, this is the only command in there. So if you're looking through the passage and asking, what do I do? Well, here's what you do. You offer yourself to God. You offer your body as a slave to righteousness and not to wickedness. You see, our actions do matter. I hope you know that. I, I think you know that, right? But Christianity is not just simply a matter of knowing things to be true. It's not just a matter of reading a bunch of really thick books and understanding the theology of it. Christianity is also about what we do, and our actions matter. So it's one thing to know the right things, but knowing the right things, then we are to offer our bodies as slaves to righteousness. We are not to offer our bodies to wickedness. Now, righteousness uh, is a really important word in Romans. For those of you that have been sitting through this sermon series, you've heard me explain it many times. And, and up to now, the way that the word righteousness has been used is that we were given righteousness. That we were not righteous on our own, we were sinners. It says in Romans 3 that no one is righteous, not even one. And that means then that we can't go up to God and say, here I am, I, I'm right. 
No. We have to be declared righteous. And what happens is that when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, His righteousness is given to us. We are declared to be righteous. That's how Romans has been using the word so far. But now there's an added element to it in verse 19. It talks about this this slavery to righteousness, meaning that we are to continue to pursue righteousness. So we've already been declared righteous, but now the thought is is that we are to continue to act rightly. Continue to act the way that Jesus did. If Jesus is a standard of righteousness, then we are supposed to live the way that Jesus did. So that's what righteousness means. Um, It's the kind of life that we should live after receiving Jesus Christ. Or as many theologians put it, we're supposed to become what we are. Which isn't that neat? We've been declared righteous, now we're supposed to live like it. And remember, it's God who does this in us. It's his strength. He, he strengthens us to live the lives that he wants us to live. And then what it says in verse 19 is that the result is holiness. And that word holiness could also be translated as sanctification. Maybe some of your Bibles say sanctification there at the end of verse 19. And, and that's one of my favorite words theologically. And I want to go on a little theological... It's not even really a side trip right here because it's, it's right in here. I want to go on a little theological journey with you. But this is not one of those that's going to be way over your head. This is one of those that everyone really should be able to chew on and, and to learn from. And it has to do with the word sanctification. And I love this. I was at a conference once and there were some Spanish-speaking pastors there and they said, um, we don't have a word sanctification in our language. We just have holified. He said, you guys don't understand. It's just holified. That's all the word is. So, uh, how's my Spanish accent, by the way? Did I do okay? Uh, but I, he, I, I love that Spanish translation and that's really what the word means. It talks about us being made holy. So you ever need to describe what the word sanctification means? It just means being made holy. And it has to do with what God wants to do in us. And let me explain it this way. If we're talking about our salvation, we could talk about it in three stages. The first stage is justification, or as Romans says, being declared righteous. The second stage then is sanctification, and the third stage is glorification. So again, justification, that first stage, we were dead in sin. We were stuck. We could not get ourselves out. But God sent Jesus to to save us from our sin, to pull us out of that. But it's not like we just were were pulled out of our sin and then we just wait for heaven from there on. No, God has another process he wants to bring us through called sanctification. So from the moment we receive Jesus Christ until we die, the goal is that we would become more like Christ, that we would be made more and more holy. Holy. And eventually, God says he will finish the job. That's the third stage, glorification. We'll see that in Romans 8. That's where God makes us fully like Christ. Not in the sense that we're not going to become God like Christ is, but that we are going to become in our, in our character like Christ. So God's going to finish that process, that process that he started at justification, he'll finish in glorification. But in the meantime, what do we do? Again, we don't just wait and twiddle our thumbs saying, I hope I die soon so I can be made perfect. No. God wants to make us more and more holy right now. That's the process of sanctification. So how does that process work? Well, there's two, two sides to the story. One is that we are to offer ourselves in slavery to righteousness. It's our choice that we make to live for God and not for sin. Knowing that we've been set free from sin, we choose to live for God. 
And then the second side of that story is that God makes us holy as we do that. We don't make ourselves holy. God makes us holy. You think of it, it's the same principle as justification. We didn't save ourselves. God saved us. We put our faith in Christ, but God is the one who saved us. He sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts to to regenerate us, to give us new life. Similarly, in sanctification, we put our faith in God, but He is the one who makes us holy. He fills us with the Holy Spirit who does His work of sanctification in us. So that's how it works. That's what the rest of your life is supposed to look like, is you becoming more and more holy, more and more like Jesus Christ. And I think it's a wonderful process, and it happens as we offer ourselves in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. Okay, then verses 20 and 21. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you were now ashamed of? Those things result in death. So verse 20, simply put, um, people who are slaves to sin live for sin. That's they're living for pleasure. They're living for what feels right. They're not thinking about how to please God. They're thinking about how to follow their own way. So Paul asks a question in verse 21 about the benefit of that kind of life, of the, the things that we are now ashamed of. And I used to misunderstand verse 21 a little bit. What helped me understand it was talking to a college student. Back when I was living in Wisconsin, working with Campus Crusade for Christ, I was talking to a college student about verse 21. And this was a guy, he was at that time walking with Christ, but previously in his college life, he was not walking for Christ, and he was walking as many college students do, and things that people shouldn't do, but they were doing. And and we were talking about verse 21, and I asked him the question, what was the benefit of that? And I was hoping that he was going to say, oh yeah, that was, you know, that was terrible, and it just led to death. But he didn't say that. (laughs) He said, if you were to go back in time and ask me what the benefit is of those terrible, awful things I was doing, that I'm now ashamed of them, but if you were to go back in time and ask me, you know what I would have said? I would have said they were fun. I would have said that was the benefit. It was fun. That's why I did it. Uh, Again, I was kind of hoping that he was going to say, oh, it led to death. But here's the deal. Here's what I think I learned about verse 21 then. I don't think the contrast that we're supposed to make between wickedness and righteousness is which one is more fun. I think what we're supposed to look at is where does it result? And it tells us right here the result of those things is death. But here, one of the real helpful things I learned is that we need to be careful. Why do we do those things? Even, even now, perhaps, in our lives as Christians, why do we do those things that we know we're ashamed of them, we know they lead to death? Why do we do them? Because there's a temptation, and the temptation looks pleasing. Do you know why sin is called temptation? Or, or do you know why temptation is called temptation? Because it's tempting. There you go. There's your uh, wow people with that one. Your, your theological word. I'll, I'll define for you temptation. It's tempting. But we have to be honest with ourselves. It is tempting. We, we look at the pleasures of sin and we, we say to ourselves, that looks okay. And the reason that we do it is because we don't realize that it leads to death. And, and we get caught up in the momentary pleasure of it. But here's the deal. God didn't create us just to seek momentary pleasure, right? He created us to have life. And life consists in far more than just the momentary pleasures of sin. 
So looking back, if, I'm, if I were to you know, have that conversation with that college student again, I think we could say, yeah, you know what, it, it did feel fun at the time, but the result of that kind of life is death. And I'm ashamed of those things now, and that is no way to live, and we must not go on living like that. And we need to be reminded, even as Christians today, that we shouldn't live that kind of life because it doesn't lead to anything. And I, I, I realize again that, that we need to be careful because it's tempting. So if there are any of you out there that are just stuck in something that you know you shouldn't be in but it's kind of fun and you're doing it because it's fun and you're kind of carrying along with you this tension of I know I shouldn't do it but I like it, please know that the result of that kind of life is death and God has something better for us. God has life for us. It reminds me of the verse, Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. So we need to choose wisely what kind of a life we live, what kind of a path we choose. Let's go on into verses 22 and 23. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ, we are free from sin. We don't have to live for it anymore. We can become slaves to God instead. So in this passage, we've seen we can be slaves to obedience, slaves to righteousness, and now we see slaves to God. And and it's really all the same deal. It's a package deal. We obey God. We're supposed to live for what's right. We become slaves to God. And the benefit is holiness, that we are continually sanctified, made more and more like Christ as we offer ourselves in that kind of slavery to God. And then verse 23 says it so well. And if you don't yet have Romans 6.23 memorized, I highly suggest that you do it. I guess that would be my homework assignment for the day. Memorize Romans 6.23 if you don't have it yet. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did I get it right? Okay, good. Do I get a candy bar for that? (laughs) When it says wages, it means that we earned death. We earned a death penalty by our life. And then when it says gift, it means that in Christ we are given life. We couldn't earn eternal life. The only thing that we earned was death. But through the gift of God, he gives us eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So verse 23, like so many other verses in the Bible, speaks of only two paths. Either death or life. And there's life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have a choice. Which path will we set ourselves on? Now, I want to conclude my sermon um, by talking about two wrong ways to view slavery and then one right way to view it. Okay? Two wrong ways first The first wrong way to view this passage would be to insert a third option. So this passage talks about slavery to sin and slavery to God. But a lot of people would insist on a third option that would be, I'm free to live for myself. And and think of it this way. Um, If you were to go and ask a non-Christian, are you a slave to sin? What do you think they would say? They would say, don't be ridiculous. I'm not a slave to sin. I'm not a slave to anything. I am free to live my life the way that I want to. And sometimes even we as Christians are no better in this, that that we assume, well, I've been set free from sin. I can live the life that I want to as well. And sometimes we use that freedom to go and do things that we shouldn't do. So I I think that whether knowingly or not, a lot of times we, we insist on this third option 
that I'm not a slave to anybody. I am a free being. I can do what I want to do. Do you ever live your life that way? Assuming that you have the right to just do what you want to do? Even as Christians, do you, do you assume that you're not bound by God to, to live a life pleasing to Him, that you can just live what's pleasing to you? Do you at every moment of your life recognize that you are a slave to God? Romans spells it out quite clearly to us. Either we are a slave to sin or we are a slave to God and there is no third option. We need to recognize it for what it is. And, and I think verse 17 and 18 are clear on this. Thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, and then verse 18, you have been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. There's no third option here where we live for ourselves. Not an option. And then the second wrong way would be an illustration. And I want to go back to the illustration of slavery in America, which is, I realize is terrible and horribly awful, but actually in some ways it serves as a decent picture for slavery to sin. So I want you to picture somebody who was born in slavery. and and lived his whole life in slavery. Let's say he was 35 years old and from the day he was born until 35 had known nothing but slavery. It was his whole life. And then I want you to picture somebody coming in and, and purchasing him. So the way this works is that a slave has a price on his head. That uh, if if the master wanted to sell him, somebody could come in and pay that price and that slave would belong then to the new person. And usually what would happen is that a new slave master would come and buy a slave and make that person his slave. But every once in a while, out of the generosity of his heart, somebody would come and pay that price for a slave and then set him free. And that's actually a pretty decent word picture of our salvation, that every one of us had a price on our head. We couldn't free ourselves from our slavery, but Jesus came and paid our price to set us free. But I want you to picture that slave now, 35 years old, all his life has known nothing but slavery, and now all of a sudden, just out of this just wonderful, generous gift, he is set free. I want you to picture him waking up the next day and asking the question, what do I do with my life now? All I've done every single day of my life is go and report for duty. What do I do today? And he's just thinking and thinking, and he doesn't know what to do, and then he finally decides, I'll just go back to my old master and say, what do you want me to do today? Can you imagine how ridiculous that would be? I mean, we, we would understand. It's, it's all that he's ever known, so we might have some compassion for him. But what would you say to that man if you saw him on his way back to his master? Don't go there. You are not a slave anymore. You are not bound to live for him anymore. And I think... All too often in our Christian lives, what happens is that we go back to that old way of life. And if you think about it, we spend too much of our lives living in slavery to sin. Even if you came to Christ you know, before you can even remember, the, the truth is that every one of us used to be a slave to sin. And the truth is that we have all spent so much time in our lives sinning that it's become natural for us to do And the natural thing for us all too often is to go back in slavery to sin. But what does this passage say? Do not offer yourself in slavery to sin or to wickedness. Don't go back there. You don't have to go back there. We are set free so that we can serve God. And that leads then to the right way that we should view slavery. And it's this. Slavery is surrender. Remember, the slavery we're talking about today is the kind in which we willingly offer ourselves to follow somebody. 
We used to be slaves to sin, but now we can offer ourselves to God to serve him. And when we came to God, we were supposed to come to him saying, God, I give my life to you. I realize that I had been giving my life to sin, but now I give my life to you, and I want to follow you the rest of my life. I want to serve you. That's the way that we're supposed to do it. And by the way, if you didn't know that, that's what it means to come to Christ, is that he is our master. Again, we are set free, but not set free to live however we want, but to live for God. And that means as servants. And the important thing about a servant or a slave, like I said before, however you want to translate that word, is who is their master. And our master, our Lord, is Jesus Christ. There's something interesting I learned about Romans. I didn't know this before I studied it, but Romans 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8 all end talking about our Lord, Jesus. In three of those chapters, it's the very last phrase, and in the other two chapters, you don't have to look very far back, just a verse or two back, to see that it's talking about our Lord, Jesus Christ. The word Lord means what? Master. That's what the word means. For Jesus Christ to be our Lord, yes, it also is a divine name for God, but the very word Lord means master. So I want to ask you a question. Who is your master? Who is your master? Have you, very good. Have you given your life to God? Are you continuing to serve Jesus Christ as your master? Jesus reminded us in Matthew 6 that we can't serve two masters. And too often, even as Christians, that's what we try to do. Too often, we, we might meet people, or hopefully not, but maybe even be people who would say, yes, I've given my life to Christ, but then the life just looks the same as it always did. That's not what it means to know Jesus as Lord. To know Jesus as Lord means we give up our life to him to follow him and to serve him and to live according to his ways. Last Sunday, in the first part of chapter 6, we saw that we were set free so that we can live for God, and today it adds, so that we can serve God. Last Sunday, we saw that we are dead to sin. Today, we see that we are not to go back into slavery to sin. Instead, we are to go into slavery to God, to righteousness. And like it says in 6.11, we are to count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's I picked that out as one of the two key verses of Romans so far. Dead to sin, but alive to God. And it says that we are to count ourselves or to consider ourselves that way. So as you are considering who you will offer your life to, don't, don't deceive yourself into thinking you can live for yourself. Don't offer yourself in slavery to sin, but consider yourself alive to God as a servant of God. So what does it mean to serve our Lord Jesus Christ? I just want to end with a very uh, broad application. Sometimes when I give applications, I give very specific things that we can do. I want to end very broadly here and ask the question, what does it mean to serve our Lord? Well, what would a servant do? A servant gets to know what their master wants. A, A servant would go back to their master sometimes and say, did I do that right? What else would you like me to do? a servant has an ongoing conversation with their master about how to live. And that's what we should be doing. We should keep on talking to our master. Keep on seeking him, getting to know his will, getting to know what is pleasing to him, and then living that way. It means we should constantly be seeking him in his word. 
saying, God, teach me how I can better serve you. It means we should constantly be seeking God in prayer, talking to Him, saying, God, is this right? Show me what you want me to do. It means that we should be talking to each other, encouraging each other to serve God rightly. Constantly seeking our Master's will. A way of life in which we choose to submit, we choose to serve as slaves to God. Because remember, we can't really live for ourselves. We shouldn't live for sin. Let's serve God instead. And let's serve in such a way that we will all one day hear those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant, slave. Let's offer ourselves to God. Would you pray with me? God, we come before you right now and we willingly offer ourselves to you as your servants, as your slaves. We know that you are a very good master and we give ourselves to you again to say, how can I serve you? God, what is it that pleases you? How do you want us to live? Help us to be people who keep seeking you through your word, through prayer, by listening to your Holy Spirit. Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit to strengthen us to serve you, to help us know how to serve you? Give us knowledge of your will. Give us knowledge of you, God, that we can walk rightly with you. We love you, God. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you of what a privilege it is to get to be your servants. So God, again, we, we choose, we offer ourselves to you, to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.